This is Jacob, and I'm going to be talking to you about Google Sheets and Docs. This is Erwin, I will be talking about Google Drive and Drive. Welcome back to part two of everything you wanted to know about Google, but were too afraid to ask. In the world of tech, a powerful computer is built from using different components. It's called Frankenstein Design. In our podcast, Frankentech, we will look at what tools and tips could help you create the best product for your students. Come listen and see what Frankentech tools we find. So... What I'm going to be talking about is uh, Google Drive and the term cloud and how essentially they 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 go together how they you know how they mix and match. Uh, you hear the word cloud being tossed around left and right. George just talked about um, Google Slides um, and essentially Google Slides is a uh, it, it it it's an app that exists. Uh, it's a program that exists in the cloud, right? It it it's part of of, of Google's uh, G Suite, which is also known as uh, Google Apps. Um, but um, I wanted to read a quote that I found from um, uh, a blog at uh, Box.com, and they're a cloud storage provider. And uh, I, I, when I found the quote, I figured, okay, this is as good as you can get in terms of describing the cloud. Be- because you can get really techy um, when when you're describing the cloud, but um, so I'm going to read this quote really fast. So it says, "Today's online cloud is made up of multiple storage and data networks that seamlessly converge and talk to each other. In the past, your data was vulnerable as the hardware that lived on that it lived on. Excuse me. Today, your content lives virtually, making lost or destroyed data a thing of the past. So." I don't know if uh, that makes any sense to anyone that's hearing this, but uh, I'm going to dis- uh, try to describe it in my own words and see if uh, I can uh, simplify that quote. I understand that quote because I um, work in this industry, but if you're n- not interested in technology you're, or, or maybe you are and it's just it, it's, a, it's a topic or a, a subject that you're like, You've just ignored because you're like, I don't care about the cloud. I, I don't know what it is or what, you know, anything like that. Well, uh, to describe the cloud, um, I need to talk about data and data loss, which is a risk that uh, we used to face uh, back in the day, you know. Um, so, George, earlier in the episode, you talked about a hard drive. You mentioned to me and, you know, I told you, hey, try this out. So you went and bought an external uh, hard drive. You put the hard Anyways. But that was a risk, right? You yeah. had that data in an external hard drive. I did that too. I'm, I'm gonna say maybe Jacob did as well. We all did it in the past. <laughs> I was born on the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we back in the day we used to use uh, floppy disks, um, you know, USB thumb drives, and we still use some USB thumb drives, external hard drives nowadays. So. Basically, data that these are, you know, files you create, projects you have worked on, it's your life, um, uh, family pictures or videos like you mentioned uh, earlier in the episode. So um, this data exists in one place, and that's, and that's just that particular uh, 
computer device you're using. So that data is only stored in, in, a, in a component which is called your hard drive. And that hard drive um, can fail at any time. So, and, and that's just the nature of technology and, and, and I mean, it's not meant to last forever. It has an end of life. So um, I've had my fair share of bad experiences with hard drives. Um, I lost a report uh, for my sister um, when I was in, in high school. And so we had to spend, you know, hours and hours the next day putting a report back together for her because I... Uh, messed up in, in other words you know learning how to use a computer so uh but you know it's it's one of those things but um so applications like google slides and i mean jacob's gonna talk about google docs and i don't want to get into google docs because i don't want to take anything what he's saying but essentially all this data that you do in the cloud exists in numerous and 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 all over the world essentially so your data is safe right so um so all your data um Oh, okay, so going back to the hard drive, your data can, can be lost, blah, blah, blah. So we said that. Uh, so in, in some instances, that data can be recovered. So George was lucky enough that he bought an external hard drive, uh, put you know puts the hard drive in there, plugs it into a computer, he can retrieve the data. But in some cases, uh, you have to pay hefty fees. Yes. You said $500. Yeah. I worked at Best Buy, um, and I was in numerous situations where clients would have to pay $2,000, $3,000 to get two, 300 megabytes worth of pictures, of videos. And, and these are, like you said, baby pictures, things like that. So um, all of this can be avoidable by using uh, cloud storage or a cloud storage provider. And so Google uh, Drive is essentially that, that, that it gives you that flexibility or, or that option of using a, a, the cloud, right? Um, so think of your hard drive. Uh, now it's just everywhere. Uh, and by everywhere, I mean it's just digitally accessible to you. So uh, Google copies all of this data um, and it uploads them. It copies all the data you upload to them, though, not just any, any just data you have, right? So you have to actually move that data over uh, on, to their servers um, or storage servers, I should call them. And they move this data around the world. They have servers essentially everywhere i mean it i mean they have them here in north america they have them in, in 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 south america they have them all in europe i mean they just have them everywhere so if one side of the world ends up losing you know goes down for whatever reason because we know technology is not 100 percent reliable uh you still can't access that data but you're just accessing somewhere else but you really don't care about that so um so this is what the cloud represents. It just it, it it allows you to store your files off-site to a different location, but you don't worry about it where it's at. It's just it it's it's somewhere, right? And it's and it's, it, you use a, a Google sign-in to access that data. So um, if you're a Gmail user, you automatically are subscribed and you're given a login of 15 gigabytes. And of course, this is on a private account. Um, so if you use it for personal reasons. So, but if you're in the education sector, we actually have um, unlimited storage, which is nice. So you can create, I mean, an enormous amount of, of content and store it in the cloud. You don't have to worry about having it on your computer or your Chromebook or, or Mac or PC. You can, you can just move it up to the cloud and you can get it whenever you want. So that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, so 
um, that you know, one of the benefits of Google Drive is just having your data accessible to you anywhere, uh, as long as you have some sort of high-speed internet, right? Because uh, obviously, if you have a lot of data, you're going to want to have fast internet. But um, it means that the data just goes with you wherever you go. So I mean, that that's I hope what I just said made made some sense in terms of Google Drive and cloud and how they can kind of they they integrate with each other. Um, but um, no, it's a tough subject. So it, it is, it is, <laughs> and so I don't no, know I, if uh, if you know George or Jacob want to add to this, but essentially, uh, that's how that's how I. I mean, I, I sat down uh, a couple nights ago, and I'm just kind of thinking, like, okay, like what you know, how can you describe this the easiest way possible? And anyway, this is what I came up with, but um, yeah. So I don't know what you guys. I think that makes sense. And just another shout out about Google Drive is you can use uh, Google Photos. So um, Google Photos, I use it. I actually have the new Google phone, the Pixel. And so when I, I have unlimited uh, full-resolution picture storage. When I take a picture on my phone, it automatically uploads that picture to Google Photos and deletes it from my phone. So if I drop my phone in the lake, all my photos are uploaded to the cloud automatically. And it's kind of cool slash creepy. I can go on Google Photos and search for a baby, and all the pictures of my daughter will show up. So it actually does, and the, the images aren't named baby. They're just like named like image 86794. It's like a random thing. Mm-hmm. But it has some basic image... Facial like, Yeah, some image recognition. So I can search beach, and it looks at the time we went to the beach two weekends ago. Mm-hmm. I can look for Costa Rica, and it shows the pictures of when we uh, lived in Costa Rica. So it's kind of this creepy... It's able to do... Yeah, it's what we want. No, no. So, I know. No, so I'm not, I'm it, not complaining. It, or, it organizes your life without you having but, to organize it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's why people yeah. get all... Or spend all, the time organizing. They're, they're spying on you. Like, when you come to Alexa and say, Alexa, turn on the lights, you, it's a cool feature, but you're telling a, Google or whoever is running your product that you're home, mm-hmm. which I understand that, that you're looking at, but if you want... If I have an assistant, that assistant knows a lot about me. So the, and all all uh, technology companies are spying on you, by the way. So um, uh, one, way, I, one way or the other. Yeah. Right? So uh, <laughs> so I mean, yeah, you can you can go uh, live in the forest and weave baskets and 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 sell them at like the local flea market, or you can kind of uh, I don't know, not to be too negative, but you, or you're going to have to give in. I mean, to exist in the modern world, it's kind of a, that's what they they trade in data basically. And uh, there's a positive side where they're they're able to tailor products to better serve you by looking at that. And there's the the side where you can get all freaked out and wear your tinfoil hat. And so I'm obviously in one camp, but I understand why people are in the other one. Um, the other thing I would say is that uh, experts on data recovery recommend you have your data in at least two places. So not just on one cloud platform. Most, most people that are really paranoid about it have local, some sort of local storage, like an external hard drive where they keep things, and they store it in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, the cloud is considered the best if you're only going to do one because you have your hard drive and your computer, and your computer is so precious. You spend a lot of money on it. It's never going to fail. Um, but compare that to servers throughout the, throughout the world. Each server has internal hard drive redundancy. So if one hard drive fails on one server, that server doesn't go on, go down, and they have multiple sites. So just to add to what Erwin said, the recommend the experts recommend yeah. having multiple multiple services if you really want it. If it's like the picture of you with Jesus, then you probably want it on a local storage, an external hard drive, and on the cloud. Yeah. If it's a choir. If it's yeah, if it's a picture of you eating like, the the chili dog at the Giants game. Then yeah, you can maybe just put that on the cloud and not. And I mean, it, and one of the things about um, like uh, Jacob mentioned Google Photos and um, the 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 beauty about this is uh, we all use an, another Google tool called YouTube, right? And there's a ton of videos on YouTube that you can watch. So if you don't know how to move this data from your local PC to the cloud, there's a lot of tutorials that will essentially help you move these or move your data to the cloud. Uh, it, it, and once you do it, if you do it once, I mean, you know how to do everything pretty much. So 
Um, anyways, it's just something it's just something to consider. So uh, definitely, like Jacob said, having your data in two places is, is best. That's what I do personally, and I think Jacob yeah. does that as well. Um, I think George is doing that too, but um, oh, yeah. or <laughs> now he is, yeah. So I mean, I he's it, texting his wife right now. <laughs> but you know, it's it ha- I have my my family pictures on my uh, I have a computer at home, and then um, and then they're also in the cloud. So and that's the beauty. And I actually have uh, multiple cloud uh, providers. I mean, Microsoft has OneDrive, and then. Um, uh, there's also other cloud providers like Box, uh, Dropbox, and so I mean anyway. There's uh, kind of they're getting free advertising here, but you know it's uh, there, there's other ones if you don't want to use um, Google Drive. But um, Google Drive does make their process very seamless on how you can move your data in and out. So uh, it, I mean they have a drag and drop feature uh, if you're using a PC or a Mac. Uh, you can just literally go to drive.google.com and, and you can just dra- select all your files and drag and drop them into Google Drive using a browser like Chrome or Firefox. So, you know, th- that's the, you don't even have to know any of the technical side of it. You don't have to hit an upload button or anything. You just literally just drag and drop. So that's it. And your data starts uploading. So it's, it, that's, that's the nice thing about it. I mean, they make it really easy. So, yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk about... Uh Google Docs, and I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time on Google Docs. It's, it's kind of the most uh, basic, in my opinion, of the Google Apps product line, but you can think about Microsoft uh, Word or uh, Pages. Um, and so it's basically a, a text editor. Um, some of the things I really like about it is if you look up at the top of any of the Google uh, app products, it will right next to help, it will say all changes saved in Drive. And then if you start typing, it will say saving. So your power goes out, your car, your computer fails, your document's saved up to the second almost. And you can actually go back and look at the revision history. So you can go to file, and, and this is the same for most of the products, and you can click on file and then see revision history. And then you can actually see step-by-step step the history of who worked on the product uh, or who worked on that thing. So it's really nice when you have students collaborating on document. You can see which student contributed which piece. I've used it in uh, PDs when you get the int- occasional uh, funny, snarky comment. And I'm like, oh, that's a great way to show uh, see revision history. And I'm like, oh, thank you, uh, Mr. Blah, Mr. and Mrs. Blah, Blah for that uh, nice comment. Because you can see right there it's highlighted with the color coding of their name of who wrote what. I think that's an awesome feature for teachers. Um, it's also if someone accidentally deletes something, you can go back and recover it with a revision history. Um, I really like that you can embed Google Docs directly on websites. So I have some people I work with, I say, okay, why don't you want this? There's this text element on your website that you want to change on a weekly basis. Why don't you consider doing it as a Google Doc, and you can just edit that Google Doc, and then your website's updated automatically. As long as they publish it. Yeah, as long as they publish it to the web. So you can go to File, and then uh, there's Publish to the Web, and there's options about publishing it to the web. A couple of things I wish it did is I wish when you did Publish to the Web, you could de- define um, the HTML uh, box size uh, a little easier. Um, Wait, school just started. <laughs> yeah, school just started. So um, you can't do that currently. I wish you could um, change the size. You can do it, but you, it takes a little bit of HTML knowledge to do it. You have to find the height and the width fields and change the numbers. The other thing that I wish it did is um, it hasn't been a huge issue for me, but some of the staff I've worked with, they're like, oh, how do I add a watermark to a Google Doc? And Google Doc doesn't, unless you know about it, I haven't found a way to add a watermark to a Google Doc. Um, Why would you add a watermark? Just to protect it? Uh, to protect it, some people, I mean, some people like to have, like, their school logo as a background of the document, so the text oh. is on top of a watermark logo. Yes, I do. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, George and George knows a way to do the watermark. I haven't seen how to do that, so I guess maybe we'll add something on Google Draw. Oh, and you can put the text. So, yeah, you can do it in Google but Draw. Then you just change, no, but then you change the the um, the transparency 
So like, oh, sorry. So so when we when the kids I work with when they design something and they're gonna post it on the website, they drop on top of their Google Drawing uh, uh, another layer, and they put their little logo over it, like in a little copyright thing, and then they turn the transparency to where if you went to print it, it would cover it. But then if you move the transparency to the background, it drops the watermark. So I mean, maybe maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I, I think I think I have looked at that. So in in Google Drawing, you can make a drawing and then put text on top of it. No, you just make the drawing. And then you detect, and then it shows up behind the text. Yeah, because then you just transfer. And when you open up in Google Draw in um, in, in uh, Docs, it comes in as a separate screen, and then you drop that onto the 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 document. And then you stretch it to the four corners, and then you just send it. To and then the you back. can type on top of it. Yes. Oh, so they, I don't think that was available when I looked at this. This was a while ago, a year ago. So that's awesome for me. You just didn't know me then. Yeah, I didn't know George then. So, so thanks, George, because that's actually uh, something that I. Uh, it's not hasn't been a huge issue for me. I don't really use watermarks, but some uh, uh, particularly a principal I was working with, they wanted to know how to do a watermark, and I didn't. I couldn't get that for them. So now I'm gonna have to check that out because I didn't yeah, know fun. about that. So thanks, because you could save it, and then all of a sudden you just drop it anytime you need it. So that's cool. I didn't know you could add images behind text in a. Um, in a Google Doc, like using Google Drawing, so mm-hmm. and then drop the transparency down. So that's cool. I guess you can do watermarks. So I take that back. Sorry, Google Docs. No, but this is what this yeah. podcast is for. <laughs> figuring that out. Because what did you use before Google Docs? I always Microsoft Word. So do you see like? So I mean, I don't use Microsoft Word really at, at all anymore. The only, I guess one other thing that I wish you could do is mail merge. There's <clears> mail <throat> merge add-ons for Google Docs. Uh-huh. So mail merge is like when you're like we want to print labels, we want to send a mailer out to all of our students. And so we want to do pull from our student information system and, and print out a label for each student with their parents' name, blah, 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 their address and all that stuff. So that's called a mail merge or printing stickers, things like that. Uh, Google Docs, um, there's some a- extensions I've tried. None of them have worked as well. as So that's literally one of the only reasons. I have Microsoft Word installed on my computer to communicate with CDE what? and for mail merge, <laughs> and that's it. Blasphemy. So, okay. Did so, you just say you have Microsoft? I know. Microsoft? What? But, but I, I, lo- I'm, I, I love What's Google What's wrong Docs. with you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Okay. All right. So let's go to the second one. Now, I know, I don't know if we're going to do a part two to this one because uh, these are big topics. And I know um, having these talks with you, like, remember with that whole analogy, we're talking to our, our sons and daughters about everything they want to know. Uh, hopefully, that cloud one you guys got is, is the biggest one because um, once you know how to use it and store things, it makes everything else easier. The one that I'm going to do is the one that I have been using in, in trainings. Uh, I do uh, where I walk into a room and I have to talk about Google. Uh, there's always the naysayers in the room that are going, bah humbug, and I don't believe in it and whatever. And so, uh, and especially this kind of, kind of goes with Drive. The one I'm going to talk about is called Google Chrome, which is their web browser. And I, um, I'm, a, I'm using a Mac, and uh, I just open my Chrome browser all the time. And I went to the, apps, the Apple Store, and they let you play with stuff. And I almost downloaded the Chrome browser uh, onto the thing. I couldn't get it because I was like, this sucks so much now using Safari compared to what I was using now with Chrome. And um, one of the things I do when I do a training and I go in and someone's not believing what I'm talking about, I will stop my presentation and I'll, you know, I'll go, hey, can I use your computer? My computer's not hooking up to the PowerPoint. And then I click, I mean, to the projector and I plug theirs in and immediately sign into Google through, uh, you know, uh, the Google uh, Chrome. And all of a sudden, all of my 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 whole browser is there. Everything, my background, apps. my favorite apps, uh, the things are there. And then I go into my drive, and then that person's mouth is on the ground. Especially because you, you're you're just blowing their mind. They don't know uh, what what's in there. And so I went back and did some research on why 
I'm in love with Google Chrome compared to why I used to drink the Kool-Aid of Apple. And I still do. I still love a lot of the Apple products or certain things at Apple that they still do. But going back to that analogy of, of the Netflix versus uh, Blockbuster is I feel sometimes Apple is so stuck on their ways that we're Apple and you will bow down to us because we're Apple. And they were so innovative. They were Actually, I don't know if you guys know this, but you know how the little Apple icon turns on? On the on the it's it, you know it's upside down to me when I close it, but mm-hmm. when I open it, it's it's right side up to the world. So when I use an Apple product, it's like showing you I'm using an Apple product and their logo. Um, I know that um, Dell. I don't know if you guys remember Dell, but when they when you would flip your camera, oh you have them right there. When they no they used to have when you would, would close your uh, laptop, Dell was facing you. So when you opened up your 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 um, your computer and you were working on it, it was upside down to the world, and it That's was one of the things. No, it's it's really it's in that it's in that book. <laughs> if you listen, start with why yeah. is because what's the design saying? Yeah. Now here's my thing with Google Chrome. Google Chrome is designed for you. Safari is designed for Apple, and this is a problem I have. So let me kind of go a couple different things that I found. Google Chrome because of the way it's designed. It relies on the CPU, so it is a little bit of a battery drainer if you're on your, but it's not really that big, but it's fast, and it does just like, uh, and I know uh, Jacob just made an analogy that each of those little uh, uh, tabs, it's its own sandbox, it's its own thing, and so when I work with uh, 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 with Google and I'm using my browser, it's a lot faster because each of those is a separate tab, there's a own separate screen, and it's doing its own separate thing, but it is a powerful tool. But if I plug it in, it doesn't make a difference. So if I'm on the on the hard line, it doesn't it doesn't make any difference to it. Runs fast, it's quick, and I'm able to uh, do a lot of cool things with the pin tab and things that I can't do with Safari that I was trying to do the other day. The other thing that I like is that it's uh, it's the interface. Um, I like that I can customize almost anything. Um, I like that it has uh, more extensions. I can I can down I can have all these things on the side. So I have a Screencastify. I have my Bitly. I have my Google Classroom. I have all these things that are up there. That in Safari because it's Apple, it doesn't play well with others. If it's not an Apple product, it's not going to use it. And I know that's one of the things that Apple prides itself that it's it's it has a sense of quality. But I know with with the Google Chrome, I'm allowed to uh, to play a little bit more and find these things that work. So I kind of like that I'm able to do those things. So for Google Chrome, um, it has the best extensions uh, that I find. I can't find anything for Safari that works that way. Um, but it, uh, it to me, uh, I, I don't even like know right now when I open Safari, I'm always going, what the heck is this? Because I'm now seeing that I'm going to use Google Chrome because of the way it works. So that's mine for Google Chrome. So I'm going to talk to you about uh, Google Google Sheets. So I sometimes I think about like a personality test. If you were a Google product, what Google product would you be? And if I were a Google product, I would be a Google Sheet. I'd be a slide. What would you be, Aaron? You haven't thought about this existential question? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, uh, I, I'm Doc. <laughs> you can Google search. Okay. <laughs> so I, I would be uh, Google Sheets. So um, I, I used Excel before. Um, I used Excel starting in uh, fifth grade because I had to do square, square roots. And my dad was like, hey, did you know you can just put the square root function and put all the numbers and it'll give you all the square roots like in an instant and you don't have to type them all into a calculator? So I was just like using that basically to simplify my life. And I, when I think about Google Sheets, I think about, I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, but when, um, when uh, what's his name? The Dumbledore is pulling out his memories and his thoughts and putting them in that, that pensive. The, the pensive. So he's like, he's like offloading uh, work out of his mind into a device. Sheets is, for me, it's about automating data analysis and, 
and doing things like that. And it's probably the least friendly product is my biggest criticism of it. You open it up and you see this never ending like list of boxes and you're like, ah, what is this? It's really, it's kind of ugly. Um, but for people that work with data, um, spreadsheets are amazing. So when they first revealed spreadsheets to accountants, I think it was in the 80s, there's literally accounts that break down crying because it used to be they do these big data analyses for like the budget. I'm like, okay, what does it look like if we change that raise from a 1% raise to a 2% raise? And they have to go back and recalculate every single assumption based on that. So they'd be like, okay, give me like two weeks and come back. Now you change a number in a spreadsheet and if you're using formulas to reference that, it will recalculate everything for you automatically. So I used to be huge on Excel and a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like Excel or I don't like Sheets because it can't do the things that I used to do in Excel. The functions are, are really all the same. So if you use things like sum, uh, average, I think pretty much every function I've tried, the, 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 the syntax is the same. So if you're just used to using uh, spreadsheets for lists, they can do a lot more. They can, they can, they, they're great for lists, but then it's really just a table. The really power comes is when you say, okay, like here are all my students, here's all their scores in the test. How do I convert those to grades or percentages out of this uh, out of the total? So you can do you can divide you can do little um, it's like programming in in uh, within the cells. So you need programming. Um, I really think some of the things I like about it over Excel is so I do lots of uh, charts. So for like SBAC, I, every morning I download how many students have taken the test, how far along they are, all that stuff, and I paste that information into a a spreadsheet, and then all these charts that are available for the teachers uh, are populated automatically on the website. So it looks at how many students we have, how many students have finished this test, how many students have started the test, and then it builds all these completion charts saying, oh, look, 70% of our students have completed the math assessment, 70 or 30% of our students have completed the ELA, 100% of the students have started both. So it's kind of this little dashboard for the teachers to kind of cheer them along as they make it through the uh, CASP assessment. But we have lots of charts for, for things that can pull data in automatically. I like that it works with different things. So I have a spreadsheet that uh, creates, that's part of the um, creating of Google accounts every morning. So I have, I've written some Google scripts, which is like macros in, in Excel, which is, this is more advanced stuff. So, um, but they basically, it pulls the data in from the Google apps console, pushes it to a Linux server. The Linux server pushes it into Google sheets and then it analyzes it, pushes it back to the Linux server, pushes it back up to Google and updates and creates student accounts every morning automatically. So that's like how it's my pensive. I don't have to think about that. It's doing that every night automatically. I don't even have to worry about it, which is, you just set it up one time and that was it. Yeah, so I just set up one time and that's it. And it's been working flawlessly since then. So it's really nice that Google student Google accounts, I used to have to pull some data, do some things. It wasn't I had automated it mostly. Now it's entirely automated. So every night that's just happening. I don't even have to think about it. I could not do that on Excel. I couldn't publish my my uh, charts to, to websites on Excel. I couldn't, the Excel doesn't allow me to connect to a Linux server, connect to the web, connect to Google Admin Console. But the, the, because Google has worked with, with, they're kind of open, a Google engineer built a tool to pull data from the admin console to a Linux server. Wow. And then they have, someone else built a tool to push stuff from a server to Google Drive. And then I import into Sheets and I do the analysis. And this doesn't matter if you have a personal account and you use a Google product or if you have a... So this is all using free applications. I'm using uh, Google Apps Manager, which is written by a Google engineer. I'm using uh, G Drive Command Line, which is written by a Google engineer. I'm using a Linux server, which is a free software. Um, I'm using a Google account, which this can be done on a personal or school account. Wow. So this is all free, um, and it's things that Google has created or had teams create little pieces of to make it all work. The only thing I'm paying for is I'm paying for a droplet on a product a system called DigitalOcean. So for $5 a month, we're paying for this Linux server that's doing the Linux part of it. So I, I could set up a server on site, but I just wanted to, I want to try out DigitalOcean so we have it running on a DigitalOcean Linux server for $5 a month. That's literally the only payment involved in this. Now, this is the reason I'm asking those questions is because when 
sharing this information or sharing this podcast to people that are not like don't know anything about Google. It, we come from a, a past of like you have to go to Costco and buy your your word, you know, your whatever your your product was. And I had a, like some pushback of like, okay, the stuff you're talking about is just because you're a Google Apps for Education or you're a G Suite or or you're you're paying for it. And it's really hard for people that don't use Google products to go, oh, this is free. How is this free? How's Google making money out of this? How's Google, like, you know, it, it, and even when I showed you that Google Chrome thing when I was talking about that, that is the biggest pushback. People are like, this cannot be free. So, um, and the, the, when the representative from Google came, it was really interesting because he was talking about Google for Education is a for-profit part of their business. They don't pretend like it's in, entirely just for free for schools. So their goal with the Google Apps product suite is to create um, students that find value in the Google Apps product suite. So then they enter the business world, they become uh, employees or employers, they see Google as a viable alternative to Microsoft. And so in the private sector, you do have to pay for these. So if you want to be a Google domain for email and Google Apps as a business, so we have your business like at at jacobsconstruction.com, I'd have to pay Google um, for that service. Their goal is to introduce students to it so they can just see it as an alternative and potentially adopt it. And there actually is some numbers where younger employees are preferring the Google App Suite to the more traditional Microsoft Suite. Or even Apple. Or even Apple. So so Apple has never had a big... uh, No, but just uh, in personal. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, and and I and I really like it. Um, um, some of the things that some of the things it's added that I like is you can imp- have charts from Sheets imported directly into slides. So when the sheet gets updated, the slides chart gets updated automatically, and I really like that. And I uh, one of the things I wish it could do is I wish you could insert a table from Google Sheets into a Google Doc or Google Slide because I have stuff that's automating a lot of data. So teachers every morning get an updated list of students that have accounts created and who qualifies for intervention software all through Google Sheets. But I wish I could input those charts and other things, like put those put those t- tables of basically student account information on a Google Doc, for example, if I wanted to. And they don't have a connector for that. But this is all this is all uh, uh, free. And it's amazing how much time you can save yourself if you take a little time to learn how to do this stuff. Some of it does get advanced, but just start and just think about how, how can I calculate grades on Google Sheets. I'm not even going to get into Google Forms, which is another huge advantage of Google Sheets over what I see as is, is, uh, numbers and... Um, uh, Excel is that you can automatically get data from people, students or, or staff, and have it go, get into a spreadsheet, be analyzed automatically, published to a chart on the web. So you can have a poll. What do you think about the Google Apps suite? Do you like it better? Do you like it less? And then have a chart right next to it that every time someone submits a form, the chart updates on the website automatically. And you can't do that on Excel or Numbers. I don't know of Excel or Numbers having any format to uh, automatically import questions. They probably have a product, but Microsoft always like, oh, for an extra like dollar yeah, ninety nine yeah. a month, you get this no, extra add on. Apple does. If you pay for a certain thing, they'll do that. And that's one thing I was always really leery of Google. Yeah. So like, um, I don't know. You can do lots of stuff. So in my personal, on a personal account, my wife and I have my. My dad's a huge like wine collector, so my sister and I are the we get this wine. So my my wife Tasha, she set up this system to where we inventory our wine and we have a visual display of our wine and it tells us which wine's ready to drink and which wine needs to be aged. But it's all on a free version of the Google, and it's exactly the same. What do you mean a visual display? So we have like a grid that shows all of the wine cellar, and it's color coded by the wine varietal, and it says what wines in each thing. And then we have a Google form that says, "Are we drinking a bottle of wine or inventorying a bottle of wine?" And when we drink the bottle of wine, it disappears from the uh, the layout of the uh, of the of the wine cellar. So um, you can do that. I mean, that's on just free on a personal account. And Tasha did this. Ta- well, Tasha and I worked on it together, but Tasha started it. Tasha did most of it. 
I'm imagining your house like the Enterprise. Like, you have all these things. <laughs> yeah, well, when I do go to bed, he goes, good night, Jacob. <laughs> I'm why, watching you. Why won't you let me outside? <laughs> to keep you safe, Jacob. <laughs> all right, everyone. Um, hold on. I, uh, sorry, guys. Um, well, going off what you were saying about uh, how some people are wondering maybe how Google makes uh, money or, or how some users don't want to use Google products because, you know, they, they don't understand how it's free, blah, blah, blah. So Larry Page is actually the co-founder of an of, of a algorithm called, uh, it's actually a, a, a web page if I'm not mistaken, but essentially it's called PageRank and essentially what that does is it takes um, websites and it categorizes them based on the number of clicks they get and um, that's how Google decides whether um, certain ads that make that that make Google more money get placed on those sites so essentially the more clicks a website gets and say for example people are searching CNN um, or any other site like Bellevue I mean if we had ads on our website uh, you know Google has a service called uh, is it AdSense I think is what it the AdWords that it was AdSense oh yeah I, I think it is AdWords but it, it basically integrates uh, any ads that that um, Google has allowed to be broadcasted on your site so anyways Long story short, it's something that um, Larry Page created, and that's how uh, Google makes money. And, and I mean, it's it's a really complicated algorithm. I mean, if you actually look it up, it's it's kind of like okay, like is this something else? <laughs> but it, it they make they make their money, and 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 they have their ways of doing it. So, um, anyways, but um, what I wanted to talk about really fast is uh, Google Cast for Education. I think that's one a tool that. Um, uh, maybe you've heard of uh, Chromecast, for example. Uh, Google came out with uh, with Chromecast, I think, in 2013. So it's been out for give or take four years or so. And their intention was to share, uh, to to make it easy, as easy as possible, to share content from a mobile device, either a laptop or uh, a phone, onto a bigger screen like your TV at home. But um, Google Cast was 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 attempted to be uh, integrated in schools, but it just with with co with a complex setup at a school, a complex network setup at a school. Sometimes it was a hit and miss. Uh, it, it wouldn't work as as effect as if uh, as intended. In other words, so you would either have drops, uh, your screens would just crash out. Or anyways, it just wouldn't work. I had multiple teachers uh, try it out, and 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 they just didn't like it. So. Google Cast for Education, I believe, was announced, I think, um, I want to say last year, I want to say mid-year, because uh, I think by our tech summit that we had, it was already out. So Google Cast for Education, it allows students um, and teachers to share their screen wirelessly. It, it works by using a Chromecast. And so, uh, however, uh, the Google Cast for Education is essentially an app that exists on a teacher's device, either a Chromebook, a laptop, and so forth. So, uh, it's something to, you should definitely check out. It's available in the web store uh, inside of Google Chrome. So, uh, you can just search for Google Cast for Education uh, it, it, within uh, uh, the Chrome browser. 
and install it and check it out. Uh, give it a run. I, I think it's something that teachers uh, definitely would benefit uh, from using. I mean, it's, it's just because it, it gives that flexibility of students being able to connect to the teacher's device, which is usually connected to a bigger screen. And so students can essentially show the presentations or show their work to other is students that in the classroom. what we used in, the, in, the, in our presentation the other day in the meeting? Were we using Chromecast for education? Uh, we were using Chromecast. So Chromecast allows you to display your device mm -hmm. uh, wirelessly to uh, a Chromecast dongle on the uh, monitor projector. Chromecast for education allows you to share your device with others so students can project to your device. And your device shows up to the projector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got you. So Chromecast okay. for Education allows the teacher to be like the central hub of the display. Mm -hmm. So the students can request or the teacher can uh, request to the students to share their screen with the teacher. Yeah. And it, the bugs have been worked out? Um, uh, well, according to, um, according to, well, I've used it myself a couple times, uh, or at least mainly in, in test scenarios. But um, yes, teachers have used it around here. And, and I mean, they, they, they report that they they yes. like it. So, okay. yeah. Something to try out, though, for sure. All right. So, uh, that's it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, wow. That's a... And I know... Uh, I knew when we bit this off, I knew that it was going to be something that... Uh, we're talking about one thing, and this is more like... Whereas the last one, we were, I think we were just flying off the seat of our pants and just having fun with it. This is more like... I, no, because I feel like if I ever... Like a new hire for this district or someone who's new to Google, I, I kind of like to make, you know, this a... You gotta listen to this to know a little bit about that because when you start using all these words, drive and sheets and slides, I mean, they named them to make them a little different, but they don't really, you know, like we know PowerPoint, we know uh, those words. All right, so what's going on around us? Let's wrap this up with uh, kind of like what's happening. And so for me, um, this actually, as soon as we get back, we're on spring break right now. And so uh, we came in, and, and again, uh, I'm so appreciative of these guys. Uh, to, they're actually, I don't know if you know, IT. And, and administrators and, and people, they don't get this time off. And so these guys have to be here working, and I am on my break, so I come in and I'm going to be able to go and, and do my own thing. But these guys are coming in here to kind of share this with me. And then also this w next coming weekend, we're all going down to Napa uh, uh, to go to a thing called Q Spring Fling. And um, some of the people uh, that will listen to this podcast ask me, what is a Q? And a Q is a, 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 a group called Computers uh, Using Educators, and it's kind of an idea, and it's a little bit different than the normal uh, Google Summit or the way that uh, those those ones are where they're just one product being uh, talked about. Q kind of uh, allows you to like look at a lot of different things from a lot of different uh, um, ways using technology. And so one of the things I've enjoyed about um, looking at this one coming up is um, there's some uh, different ideas out there that, that I like. I know there's last past week um, there was a Q17 at uh, Palm Springs, which I actually got a chance to attend virtually through Snapchat. So um, I was going through all the Snapchats and watching that and seeing how people were, were, were getting stuff out of that and information out of that. So I'm really excited about this weekend coming up, uh, being able to go to my first queue. And I know it'll be smaller. It won't be like Palm Springs where we have like a billion people there. But it'll be an opportunity to, to just see uh, a different, uh, make other connections and, and see other people's ideas on it. So I'm looking forward to that to this weekend. Um, my uh, kind of what's going on around me, I want to share a little bit about the, uh, the visit we had uh, from Google. So they were coming to us uh, because we're a district that's on a journey towards personalized learning. So if you don't know what personalized learning is, it's kind of the idea of RTI or MTSS if you're in the education realm, you've probably heard of those terms. 
this idea that learners are different, they learn different ways, and we need to adapt to meet the learners rather than the old traditional one-room schoolhouse where kindergarten through eighth grade was all in the same room having to learn the exact same thing. We're not there anymore, but most school districts, I'd say, in the United States, if you're in fourth grade, you're moving on a curriculum map, everyone's learning the same content this week, and some students didn't learn last week's content, so they're struggling with this week's content um, because it re relies on them having knowledge of the last week's content. So personalized learning is about adapting the content and curriculum to meet the needs of the students. And um, there's people that are doing it in totally different ways. There's lots of different, it's a kind of poorly defined topic. So we were talking to Google and one of the things that, uh, this Google representative, and one of the things he said was that he feels it's really important that the program, personalized learning program is student focused, not system focused. And that was something I've been thinking about a lot because I tend to think in systems, which is, I guess is typical of people in IT, thinking about the networking system, the computer system, everything systems to me, I tend to be systems oriented. And so we're looking at, um, and we do a lot of work with data in, in, in the district. So we're looking at like some of the reports that um, are available to staff to look at their classroom and how students are struggling. And I was noticing how I put kind of the gestalt kind of overall look at the class at the, at the top. And he was more interested in what's going on with each student for the teacher to see kind of what's that one student struggling with, which is really where the rubber meets the road. That's what's going to be most informative to teachers. And I do provide that data when I do that data analysis. But I just recognize that my bias has been towards the system, so I've been thinking about that more and how to focus on the, on the students. I mean, it probably makes sense for my role for it to be more focused on the system aspect, but to focus on the individual uh, learner and kind of how um, his, his feeling that student ownership is a really big, important part of that. So students are collaborating in their education. Education isn't something that is happening to them, it's happening with them. And that's something I definitely buy into. That's something that I've kind of been thinking about on my own, about how it's really impactful for the students when they feel like, I, when I was in school, I always thought my report card was something that happened to me. And I was like, oh, I'm doing really well in, in math and science, not so well in English. I'm not good at English. But no one ever broke down to me like, oh, if you spend time on punctuation, your, your English grade could go up. These are the specific areas you're struggling with. How can we work together to improve those? And that's more about engaging the students. So making the student kind of aware with, of what they're doing well, what they're struggling on, so they can make informed um, uh, effort to improve. And so I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really passionate about it. We're doing some things with adaptive software. So using Imagine Learning, Alex, and Dreambox, which are all adaptive software. And, and uh, some teachers are put off by that because it's the idea of the kid just being on the computer, not interacting with the teacher. But the, when these software applications are used well, what that allows the teacher to do is say, okay, here are my students for English language arts. I have three that are, and I'm gonna cover comprehension today, let's say, some aspect of comprehension. And I have three, I'm gonna divide the students into three groups of comprehension, the high students, the medium students, and the low students. And then I'm gonna have them rotate through stations. There's gonna be a station where they're with me, there's gonna be a station where they're on adaptive software, and there's gonna be a station where they're working on a collaborative project. And what that allows me to do as the teacher is when I'm with my group, my low group, I can target my instruction to specifically what they need help with. So I'm not trying to teach the low and the high all at once in the same time. I'm targeting my instruction on just what those students need. When on the adaptive software, the software adapts to meet, to meet their needs, so it kind of figures out what they need and helps them with that. So I know they're on high-quality adaptive software. The collaborative group, I could design potentially projects for them to work on a group that are, are at their right level. So it kind of allows the teacher to offload, to have more real and personal connections with the students and teach at their just right level and really make an impact for those students. So it's not really about the technology, it's about the technology enabling the teacher to make a more deep and meaningful impact for the students. And so um, it was a really awesome time to spend with, uh, with him because he's been thinking about it a lot, Google's been thinking a lot about it a lot, and they're trying to figure out what their role is. But it's a topic that you can find, that's kind of part of our vision for personalized learning, but there's districts that are taking personalized learning and interpreting it in a wildly different assortment of ways. So it's an interesting topic right now. So that's something that I've been thinking a lot, about a lot over the weekend. Um, he recommended some books, so I'm going to uh, look at those. So um, it was really a great visit to kind of to talk to someone that has a wider perspective outside of our district on personalized learning. Awesome.
what's going on around uh, me um, is, well, I'm going to bounce <laughs> off of George, and I've never been to a Q um, event before, so this will be my first. I'm actually looking forward to it, so it's something that, um, anyways, I've heard good things about it, and I want to want to check it out, so I'm, I'm definitely excited about that. And then um, the other thing I am uh, excited about is definitely the, definitely uh, creating an app uh, using Thunkable because, I mean, I, I was looking at the interface because um, uh, I only found this, I mean, not, not even a week ago. And, I mean, it's it, I was looking at the interface and it just they make it really easy. And so it's kind of nice because it gives you an idea of, like, okay, what's going on in, in, in the back end, like, when you're using an app, yeah. you know, so um, and how, like, certain commands are, are being called and, and so forth. But... Or arguments, blah blah blah. But, um, anyways, it's just it, yeah, that's what's going around uh, around me right now. So, yep. All right. So, um, you guys are going to be listening to this. I right now we're an hour and twenty three minutes into this. So, what this is going to be, this is the end of part two. We're going to cut this in half, so that way you don't have to listen to that much. Um, the magic number in podcasts is about thirty minutes because most people listen to it in their car. And the reason for that, I, I want to is is we want to really focus on. Uh, quality. I know when we were talking, my urge was to get it within that 30 minute was to tell everyone, hey, hurry up, <laughs> stop talking. But then I'm like, I mean, this is the conversation that I'm enthralled in. And I want to know about this. And I, I hope you uh, understand why we did it this way. So we want to make sure that you are listening to this and are being informed. But we're not just skimming over and just giving you the, the rainbows and the roses. We want to make sure that you understand uh, these are this is what it is. And this is what we're here for. And this is what we're going to try to teach. So this is the end of part, actually episode three. We just made it to two episodes. So this is episode three. Uh, the, the, everything you wanted to know about Google, but we're too afraid to ask. So uh, uh, hopefully uh, next time we'll just be able to do it in one. But this is uh, kind of cool to spend this time with these guys in this morning. So uh, thank you for listening and we're out.